0: This is a podcast 225 production. Welcome to The Clay Young Show.
1: Man, this might be the longest one we've done since Tom Lang. Almost, well, over an hour and a half episode of The Clay Young Show, episode 180 on your podcast device right now. What's going on, people? Are you enjoying life? Enjoying the weather? Hopefully looking forward to getting 2018 the hell out of here and on to 2019 like I am. Yep, it's been a crazy one, but life is still a gift. Good to be here and good to have you here with me. Our guest on episode 180 of the show is the chief of the Baton Rouge Police Department, Murphy Paul, and what I believe is his longest conversation about being on the job and having this job since he has become chief of police. And we plan on talking about everything from how he got into law enforcement up on to and through the last 10 months, which included some high profile decisions on his part and a tumultuous year that looks like it won't be repeated this year. So you're going to get to learn a lot about the man behind the badge and the title on this week's show. See how we serve it up for you? We tell you every week when we put the show out there on social media, like it, share it, tell people about it. Leave me some reviews on the podcast app for Apple, will you? I hadn't seen fresh ones up there in a little while. Like or hate, I'd love to hear from you. Hopefully none, no hater goes on there and says anything, but hey, what the hell, what are you going to do about it, you know? But we appreciate the support we get from you guys every week on the show and all the people who are spreading the word about the work that we are doing here. And I'm looking forward to talking with the chief and getting into some of what's going on. There are a lot of moving parts in the Baton Rouge Police Department right now and a lot of things that are on the horizon for them issues that relate to policy and positions within the department, and, of course, the issue of pay. And we're going to talk about that, like what what's on the horizon for the department as it relates to pay raises. As we talk about pay raises, right now in the news, teachers in East Baton Rouge Parish have decided to go on strike in protest of a tax exemption move that Exxon here in town, in Baton Rouge just so you know, if, if you're listening somewhere else, that Exxon's about to get into. And I will tell you that these teachers are, they're they're wanting a pay raise. They haven't had one since 2008. And they they want some other issues addressed, such as smaller classrooms and more technology in the classroom. But I am just not a fan of teacher strikes because I think, The people most hurt by that are the children in the classroom. And look, I'm very pro teacher, very very pro teacher pay raise. I think we need to take care of the people who are most responsible next to the parents of our children as it relates to making certain our kids have the best opportunity to succeed. Teachers are on the ground floor of it. But I don't know. I'm not digging the strike. And maybe that's something we'll dig into with David Tatman or someone with the school system to talk about what's going on there. But it's going to be controversial. There's a lot of stuff going on here before the end of the year that we're going to get into. There are some people running for office uh, that we will talk about here coming up. The St. George issue in Baton Rouge. I was communicating with Lionel Rainey about that a few days ago, and I need to get them back in there because they've officially turned in the petition with all of the signatures on it. And that is something that's rolling down the hill towards us. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a very, very big deal. So we'll get Lionel in here and maybe one of the principals on the other side in here as well to talk about it. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to, we're going to finish this year strong. How about that? But first, we got to talk to the Chief. Chief Murphy Paul will be in the Podcast 225 Studio with me to talk to you next. Clay Young here with Charles Harvey with the Metropolitan Health Group. If someone has been in an accident or has suffered an injury and they need experienced medical treatment, they can come to Metro.
0: Absolutely. That's what we're here for. We've been in business for over 30 years in Baton Rouge and Lafayette. We have licensed physicians Mm -hmm. who've been practicing medicine for several years. They're here to get these people back on their road to recovery.
1: If you've been in an accident, you can go today. You don't have to set an appointment. You can walk in and be seen.
0: Absolutely.
1: Call. Have your attorney call us. Get you in to see the doctor. Same day appointments. Um, We cater to you. So if you've been in an accident or suffered an injury and you needed to see a doctor immediately, immediately you can call Metro and you can make that happen. Absolutely. So there you go. If you need a physician for physical therapy or some other medical issue, contact the folks at Metropolitan Health Group in Baton Rouge at 225-926-3343. That's 926-3343.
0: Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition
1: for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show every week clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people posting your
0: company's logo on the podcast 225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on the clay young show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience get more information by calling 225-214-1550 that's (laughs) 225-214-1550
1: He is the chief of the Baton Rouge Police Department, longtime law enforcement officer. Murphy Paul making his way into the podcast 225 studio for the first time. Got a chance to sign the door. A lot of names on that door, huh, man? Yes, sir. sir. (laughs) So how you doing? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. (laughs) So it's so interesting because you have been on the job how long now? How long have you been
2: police chief officially here? So technically, let's see, I've been here... uh, Ten months, uh, uh, eight days, uh, seventy-two uh, seconds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's inter- it's interesting because Baton Rouge has had a lot going on, and we'll work our way through your first yeah. uh, few months on the job. But let's start at the beginning with you, with law enforcement. What drove you to law enforcement to begin with?
2: Well, you know, it was uh, it was one of those things that that, that kind of happened. Uh, you know, being a young guy growing up in the city of New Orleans, I wasn't uh, really fond of law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, you know, growing up in the city of New Orleans. And, uh, you know. Why like, was that? Well, let's just say, I mean, there, there are many stories out there. You know, uh, New Orleans had its issues uh, with mm-hmm. community police relations and how they police the community. So uh, my my opinion wasn't very favorable. It wasn't until I I first had a an encounter with a state trooper. Yeah, and it was the first time that uh, a police officer ever referred to me as sir, as a young guy. And I saw wow. him professionalism, and I knew that if that was going to be my career choice, that state police uh, and, and, and just the way they carried themselves was. Uh,
1: and we'll come back to that, but <clears> throat> throat> I don't know that people know that. But when you when you left the police, the state police, you carried mm-hmm. the rank as colonel, uh, deputy superintendent. Uh, De- yes, yeah, deputy correct. superintendent mm-hmm. of of the whole thing. So. You you went
2: to college? I did, Loyola University. Loyola mm-hmm. and after
1: Loyola you went right into law enforcement?
2: No, actually I started law enforcement. I was I, I was at Southern University of New Orleans sooner. SUNO. Suno. Did some time at the University mm-hmm. of New Orleans. Uh I was a levy board police officer in the city of New Orleans mm-hmm. and then I applied for state police and became a state trooper. And while I was a state trooper, I finished school. I was going to uh, to evening school yeah. at yeah. Loyola University. Uh, which was a very, very great educational experience for me. And then, again, your time at state police
1: when you started. What did what was your first impression of law enforcement when you got there? When you go through the academy
2: and everything. What's your first impression? Well, well, you know, for me, you know, growing up in a city, um, you know, I had my uncles who 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 were really father figures. Now, my, my father wasn't as as active, but we had a, a relationship, mm-hmm. and we have a great relationship now. But it was really his brothers, my my, my uncles who are really uh, 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 those figures in my life that kind of kept me straight. But I still lack some discipline. See, I was a mama's boy, right? <laughs> And uh, my mama spoiled me. But with, yeah. with State Police did, it gave me discipline. Yeah, yeah, that's really what it gave to me. You know, I can remember uh, being in an academy and being screamed at and yelled at and uh, I remember one of the, 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 the drill sergeants who was uh, you know one of our training instructors. Uh-huh. I remember wanting to grab him and, <laughs> and do things to yeah, him. Yeah. But I thought, wow, I would disappoint my mother. Yep. Because when I was accepted to the police academy, state police academy, she gave me this big party and family was over, you had everybody, and I'm like, Mom, I haven't even graduated right, yet. Right, right. So. Uh, but she knew, as you were starting, what you were gonna do. Absolutely, she was proud of me. And, yeah. uh and, and it wasn't really, you know, for me, I, I think, to to disappoint her in any kind of way outweighed anything that was going through my yeah. mind in terms of I don't want this, I don't wanna go through this, these right. guys screaming and yelling. Right. As many nights I wanted to walk away and leave but the thought of disappointing that woman. yeah, ooh, no.
1: Yeah, and I, I I feel the same way about that. And and in a way when you finished the academy knowing how you felt when you were going through it. Yeah. When once you got on the other side of it, it had to make you feel like you can withstand
2: mental pressure. Absolutely. It was uh it, it was a proud moment because yeah. I felt like I worked for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, the the, the response and and, and how people looked at me, you know, Uh you would think state troopers made a gazillion dollars, right? I mean, just the the response I got back in New Orleans when they seen me in that state uniform Uh in that car, it was like, hey, it was (laughs) this level of respect. Right, And I had never gotten that before. And it was very proud for me. and and so many people were proud of me and the discipline I had. And, yeah, I, I, I really I needed that at that time. You uh-huh. know, the discipline that I learned in academy helped me in those situations when I was on the road by myself. You know, we talk about those state troopers ride alone. You know, uh-huh. you're out there on those highways and byways by yourself. And that discipline paid off that discipline, having control and, and knowing it, it, how to make uh, better informed decisions and not reacting off emotions.
1: And you were an investigator at, at the, during your time at state police as well, and not just an investigator, you were in some high stakes situations, yes. going deep cover in the whole yeah. thing.
2: Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I did about a year uh, out the academy, not, not quite a whole year, and I was uh, recruited into narcotics. Uh, So uh, I was in a Troop L area in Mandeville, and uh, I went in narcotics. I was recruited by the supervisor there, and I think it was my first week. (laughs) Uh, My first week in the section. Actually, my first couple of days. uh, I was uh, uh, working undercover in the Covington, Louisiana area. (laughs) Then then they sent me to Ponchatoula. Yeah, all the big cities. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Then they sent me to Hammond. Uh, Did some undercover in New Orleans, uh, up in Monroe, uh, Alexandria, Lafayette. What Uh, was that like? Well, you know, people think it's not really as dangerous as people think. You know, it it was more dangerous to be out there on a highway pulling Mm -hmm. people over that you don't know anything about. You know, Uh, and you look at most of your uh, incidents, and it's particularly with state police. Yeah. uh, Most of your uh, use of force shooting incidents happen on the highway. But what we don't understand about narcotics is I always knew I had backup and I did my research. We did our research on the individuals that we were investigating. So we knew everything about them Mm -hmm. and uh, we prepared for that. There's an operational order that goes in uh, every time you work undercover, every time you're involved in a narcotics transaction. So because you do a lot of homework and a lot of preparation goes into every operation, it's not as dangerous as uh, people would think. What's the most wow moment you remember from doing that 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 you can talk about something where you went oh, what you know when I first I, I tell you you know because you, you learn uh, that I was thrown in many situations without the proper training mm. yeah and, and there were dangerous situations not because of the situation but because we didn't prepare right for it and I remember we're meaning throwing, what like, like for example I didn't have uh, the proper formal training uh, where we talk about those signs, indicators, mm-hmm. when to call a deal off, uh, when you're uncomfortable with a situation, uh, uh, the proper way to prepare an operational plan, mm-hmm. uh, to to make sure your backup is there. Uh, in this particular case, I was in Slidell, Louisiana, uh, working for uh, undercover for the sheriff's office there, and <laughs> I remember going in. Uh, we used an informant, and uh, as soon as we got in there, uh, the the door had these. Mm-hmm. Uh, big two by fours that were covering at the top. So I knew if something happened in there, then the chances of backup coming to get me out of there was slim to none, and it was secured that much. And I remember going in there a little confident, but I made a mistake and I didn't do my research because the undercover name that I used just happened to be the same undercover name of a guy who was robbing people in the community. And um, so when I came and, and I was involved in the transaction, I remember uh, the, the person I was purchasing the narcotics from said, I thought you was uh, so-and-so. And I was like, no, that's not me. And uh, you see this guy sitting there who had a, uh, he was obviously uh, what we would call the, the muscle. Uh-huh. And uh, he had a gun and he said, well, I thought you were this guy coming to rob us. and so. You, you get in this scenario, and I'm so nervous and so scared. I, I, I make the transaction. I leave, and when I leave, uh, someone came out emotionally because my car wouldn't start. It, it, so, I go back. I'm like, what's going on? They say, uh, come back in. Now, you never go back in. Right. But I went back in. Wow. And it was a nice drug dealer because they said, you gave us too much money and gave wow. me some of my money back. <laughs> oh my. So the I was that scared and nervous that I paid too much and they were nice enough and they to gave give me you, some of my money. Yeah. they gave you your uh, some of your money back absolutely wow absolutely yeah. uh, and, and you know the the how long you said you did that for a year oh no no I did that for for several years so that would have been 1995 uh, when I when I first started uh, working undercover and I did that for several years uh I was assigned to a task force, a federal task force in New Orleans, which which was called HIDA. It had Uh just started. It was the Gulf Coast HIDA. HIDA stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. And what happened is there was a federal grant where they recognized certain parishes here, but counties and other places Uh or cities uh, uh, where there was high volumes of, of drug activity. So they were... Uh, directing resources in those areas to create task forces. Uh, it was uh, DEA, FBI, Louisiana State Police, uh, New Orleans Police, uh, Jefferson Parish. Uh, let's see, we had Secret Service, not yeah. Secret I'm sorry, RS was yeah. part of our task yeah. forces, and we would target uh, drug trafficking organizations and we would disrupt and dismantle those organizations. People read about drug
1: raids and busts mm-hmm. and things that happen in the news, either here or other places. But do you think the average person has any idea some of what's moving through our streets every day, across
2: the interstate, or going on in some of these communities? It's a lot, you know. People don't realize, you know, how many, how much drugs are out here on the streets. So yeah, maybe the average person or regular. But I think we're starting to become more informed and aware of. it. Yeah. I think this opioid epidemic uh, was going it's on, catching right everybody. Now. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's. I think that's uh, p- people are starting to pay more attention because it's no longer this uh, six degrees of separation. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's is hitting home. Right. Everybody knows someone right who's been directly impacted by this. Well, I just saw
1: a meeting. story yesterday on on social media about. Someone I know who lives next door to a young lady, yeah. 23 years old, I believe who OD'd on it had got involved with it and then just could never shake it and, and ended up dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard there was a story last year about a little boy in a park who touched a rail yeah. where some of that stuff had been and he OD'd, he died. I mean, it's, it's
2: that potent. Yeah. They did use them. They cut it with fentanyl. Yeah. That's where, uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of these, uh, overdoses and, uh, It's it's sad, but you know we have to. One thing that's 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 happening right now that's a little different is our response to the opioid epidemic is totally different than our response to the crack cocaine epidemic. You see, the the crack cocaine epidemic. If you look at our response, uh, it was zero tolerance, right? And we locked away uh, so many uh, 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 individuals who were involved in the Mm -hmm. drug trade, not just those who were selling, those who were possessing as well. Uh, it was a zero tolerance, even on a federal level, as you were aware. Probably, uh, I mean, most people know that the penalties for crack cocaine were more uh, severe than just powder cocaine. Mm-hmm. Even though you needed the powder cocaine right. to make the crack cocaine, right? Right? right. Uh, because it was specific and only it was an issue in, in just in uh, uh, predominantly African American communities mm-hmm. in, in the inner city. So our response was a little different. So what history tells us is we learn from our mistakes, right? Right now with the opioid epidemic, we are talking uh, on both sides, right? Whether you're on the left, the right, the middle, we are having healthy conversations about how do we deal with Mm -hmm. this opioid epidemic and we're starting to really see it as it is and that's a disease because uh, addiction is a disease. That's right. But historically, just like in crack cocaine, we have treated uh, addiction like a crime. Right. Because that's our response as law enforcement. Yeah. But when we look at mental health, it's a disease. Mm-hmm. When we look at addiction as a disease. And we're really starting to have good conversations so. about dealing with it from a
1: disease as opposed and, to And run. we're breaking down the stereotypes about it because like you said, we're treating it like a disease, like alcohol Absolutely. addiction, it's, you know. 15, 20 years ago was treated differently than it is now. That's correct. And because it, the people, I mean there are even studies that talk about how it can be hereditary that someone can inherit a gene that makes them more likely to abuse alcohol or you some see. other kinds of substance. And I think that that's healthy. I don't think the country with the percentage of mental health issues we have can get this wrong without us being in a world of trouble. Right you know i mean when when you remember crack cocaine and that whole thing and yes, the the whole just say no to drugs and all of the, all you know that came out of the reagan Absolutely. presidency there and and now man with everybody looking for escape or waste a way to escape yeah. we have to be careful now having said that how does that affect the way you as a law enforcement officer do your job because it's night and day from like you talked about with crack cocaine and that yep. epidemic to today, how do you adjust tactics
2: to reconcile the differences? Well, I you know, that that's why, I, first of all, it's, it's understanding the mistakes we made. We mm-hmm. got the crack cocaine epidemic wrong. I, I believe we're still rebounding from that, yeah. right? From, from our response. To Turn that. sick people, sick people into, into felons and Absolutely. convicts. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think it's first recognizing that we made mistakes. Yeah. We are having these conversations right now about, treating mental illness treating addiction as diseases and not like a crime yeah uh in training training our law enforcement officers on how to deal with uh, these issues okay you know there is uh uh, we have to create uh opportunities for intervention and that's what uh, uh, uh treating treatment is all about you know when we get to the place where instead of my police officers, our police officers, our BRPD police officers, when we're running across these individuals who are suffering from a disease, that we're not taking them directly to jail, mm. but we're taking them to treatment facilities right. where they can get the care that they need. Because when I take them to jail, when we take them to jail as police officers, it's a revolving door. Right. When they get out of jail, we're dealing with them again because they've never dealt with that monster called addiction. And right now, uh, our Uh, a criminal justice system isn't designed in a way to treat that issue. And it's become so bad for so long and mental illness uh,
1: uh, specifically, but let's let stay where we are. So now, at the state police, you spend all these years as a, an investigator, and then in doing undercover work, and you start to climb the ladder. And like I said, you, when you left, you were the deputy superintendent. Yes, sir. How
2: about that last few, that last period yeah. there? So I was blessed because I was I worked narcotics, and then I was promoted. My first supervisory position was in intelligence, and that was uh, right after September 11 on the heels of uh, uh, being a supervisor, and the focus went to criminal intelligence. So. Uh, uh, my mentor who helped train me in intelligence. uh, I was able to get my clearances and Mm -hmm. uh, we worked intel and then uh, a, a couple of years after that I was promoted to lieutenant. And asked to go back and run uh, that same federal task force yeah. that I used to work undercover right. in. Right. So I was uh, reassigned to DEA out of New Orleans, okay. running a federal task force uh, with, with state troopers and our federal partners. I did that for. Based two years. there? You were based in New Orleans? That is correct. Okay. Yes, sir. The office right there in Metairie at okay. DEA. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, did that for a couple of years. Then I was fortunate to be promoted to captain. So my, my career, I was getting promoted you know, uh, pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I kind of knew a little bit about everything, but a lot about nothing. So (laughs) (laughs) That's the way that happens, right? Right. So I was promoted to commander uh, to run narcotics statewide. I had nine field offices throughout the state uh, that I was supervising, and then uh, there was a change in administration, and I was asked to go to internal affairs. Mm -hmm. So then I ran internal affairs, which was probably uh, one of the best assignments I ever had. Why so? Well, I got to see the agency through a different light, and I remember when I got the call to run internal affairs. I was, uh, I was, my feelings were hurt. I'm gonna be honest with you because I thought I was doing a great job in narcotics. That was my background. We were doing wiretaps, you know, all of the wiretaps uh, come through the Louisiana State Police state wiretaps, and mm-hmm. all of those came through me. We had started doing uh, a lot of state wiretaps, and um, I, 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 I thought it was just. Uh, I, I wasn't doing something right. I didn't look. At like it you looked at deport. it as a demotion. Yeah, kind of like. Yeah, and, uh, and I remember calling my mentor on my way home, and uh, I called one of my mentors, and I said I just got transferred. And the first words out of his mouth was, "Well, congratulations." I said, "Well, wait, that's not what I wanted." He said, "The superintendent would not put you over internal affairs." unless he saw something in you. That is one of the most important positions right. in the police department because your job is to help maintain integrity. You're policing the police. Absolutely. And I remember, because I was living in New Orleans, working out of Baton Rouge, driving home, mad upset when I started. And before I reached my destination in New Orleans, I was calling everybody proud about <laughs> the new opportunity. And Isn't everything. it amazing what perspective will do? Yeah. That's, that's why it's so important to have people... In your circle, who yeah. are mentors, good people? Find a mentor. Find somebody who's been there, done that, uh, who can help you. Because he, you know, and I have several mentors. I've been blessed to have three superintendents who are actually mentors to me, uh, uh, growing up through, through through my career at State Police, and uh, to 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 have the opportunity to tap into that experience mm-hmm. and run things by them has really helped me. Uh, and to be in this position where I am today. So you leave AA, IA and go where? So I'm in internal affairs yeah. and then I am promoted to major uh, of uh, investigations okay. which covered the state police fusion center as well. I uh, did that for a short time and then I was promoted to Deputy Superintendent over Support Services, which covered uh, aviation. it covered our crime lab. Uh, it covered uh, the, the the training facility, uh, our, our criminal records mm-hmm. division, which is probably one of the largest uh, uh, sections other than patrol in in, in, uh, in Louisiana State Police. So I did that for probably about a year and then I was I was transferred back to the Bureau of Investigation, okay where uh, fusion center narcotics, detectives, special crimes, insurance fraud, um, the wiretap division, yeah. the TSOs. Um. What was that like? Uh, well, you know, that was interesting because I had a little background in it from working with the feds. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those investigative tools that's available to law enforcement when Mm -hmm. you've tried everything and nothing else works and you can articulate to a judge that you believe that an individual or a group of individuals are are directly involved in a specific type crime. Um, It takes a while to get there, uh, but it uh, it was very educational. How hard is it
1: to get clearance for a wire wiretap? Like if you're if you're <clears throat> trying, I mean, I know it's a part of your
2: toolkit and, yep. and an overall investigation, but is that a long process? Yeah, some of them. Are, you know, most of them uh, long-term investigations. Uh, you you have to exhaust all investigative means. That's that's really the key. You tried everything, right? And, and 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 to no avail. But you believe based on all of this information you have. You know, you have to get approval from uh, the the district attorney. Uh, uh, has to be on a board. There's a review process uh, through the, uh, the, the, head federal, the the head state judge in that jurisdiction, and prior to that, you meet with the AG, the Attorney General has to be on board as well. So there's a lot of checks and balances uh, in, in place because uh, you have so many different um, agencies that are involved in the process just to make sure, because it's a very intrusive too. You know, when people think that—I think the average Louisianan doesn't—would
1: say the only thing they know about the state police is that yeah. they see them in those SUVs on the road. Yeah. Or if there's a story that pops up, you may see something with state police there. People don't generally—the the state police doesn't have the brand of, say, like the Texas state police, the Rangers, you know, right. the Texas right. Rangers and that whole thing, yeah. but— uh, what about that? Because like you talked about, people being proud of you in New Orleans, which is a city you're most likely to see a state police officer mm-hmm. here. If you don't pass them on the road, you don't really run into them. Yeah. What about that? Well, yeah, you know,
2: the the, the uniform, right? The, yeah. The, 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 that blue and gold with that uh, uh that hat. With the hat. That, that's yeah. the brand. Yeah. man. That's the brand. And uh, and, and one. Thing. You got my
1: man who's, who's like six foot seven, standing next to the LSU football yeah, coach at every yeah,
2: game. Absolutely. You know, he used to play for LSU. <laughs> I did not know that. That is correct. Yeah, he played for LSU. That's I could
1: right. believe it. That That's is right. one large dude. Yeah. He's a nice, nice guy, though. He really is. He's, He's a really guy. nice guy. I uh, saw him there last year, with, with, with and we got a chance to talk on the sidelines. Hopefully, I'm going to see him again in a couple of weeks at the Alabama game. So, you were the deputy
2: superintendent. Did you have aspirations of the top job? Nah, you know I never did. Now, so so I applied for for state police. I did. I did right prior to uh, taking this position. I did apply uh, when when our uh, the former superintendent retired, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Edmondson. Uh, I applied. Uh, it was a, a small group, and let me tell you that that experience I I think also helped me. Uh, you know, to become the the Baton Rouge chief, because I learned so much in that process. Uh, You know, to sit down and and get an interview with the governor, Mm -hmm. and I have the utmost respect for our governor, and to sit down and and listen, and I mean, I was so nervous in the the talk and to go through the process, but, you know, when you're around a group of talented individuals like that, those who applied, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had the utmost respect for every every candidate who applied for the position, and, and we all had relationships, and Uh, And then uh, uh, the superintendent, Kevin Reeves, was Mm -hmm. selected by the governor. And uh, in that short time before I was uh, blessed with this new opportunity, I learned a lot from Kevin. You know, Kevin is, uh, he's a real, Uh, mild man, a really cool reserve. But but I liked his leadership style and I think it was perfect for Louisiana State Police specifically because of what we were going through at the time. And I think his leadership style was 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 right on time. What do you think? I've known Mike
1: Edmondson a long time. I still count Mike Edmondson as a friend. What do you think about the way that all ended for him? Well, Controversial
2: you know, and certainly not the way he wanted to go out. But what what do you think about the way that whole thing? You no, know, you know I pray for Mike every day. He's still a, a friend and uh, and I love him and uh, and I pray for him and and I think that uh, he will. Uh, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know God has uh, other opportunities for him, and and I think his chapter in history was to be real. look. Mike did great things for Louisiana State Police. We can't take that away. You know, one of the highest uh, raises uh, yeah. in the history, uh, right? Of, 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 of not just our police department, but policing. Yeah. You know that that happened under Mike Edmondson. You know, we've grown a lot. Relationships with the uh, the local authorities. Uh, you know, all of that happened. And he was Mike there the longest. The, the the longest yeah, in history he was, he of was, uh, of that uh, agency, right? Yeah, he saw uh, he was he passed several administrations. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I do uh, uh, know that uh, God has another chapter that He's that He's writing in uh, in, in Mike's book. You think so, He's okay. done with law enforcement? Uh, you know, I've never really asked him that. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if He's done with law enforcement. But, but, but God has other things planned. Mike has a lot of talent, and, and I think God is going to. Uh, it's gonna is gonna get through he's gonna get through this with prayer I'm you still see him
1: moving about. around Baton Rouge pretty I, good he I still do, knows yeah. where all the
2: good places to
1: eat are because yes, you'll sir. see him in there yes, and sir. so here it is this opportunity to become the Baton Rouge police chief comes up now mm-hmm. in context for people listening in, in other either other parts of the country or, or other parts of the state You know, this is a move that has happened after the Alton Sterling incident, after the flood. Baton Rouge is in all of this upheaval. We've had an election and the city, I think as we sit here today in October of 2018, we are just now starting to get some footing back. It feels like our our legs are getting up under us. But back then, man, it was it was crazy and everything was unstable so you have an opportunity to apply for this job and you say <laughs> i want to jump into this
2: well yeah you know the it's, it's i talked about this i did an interview with um uh with christian magazine yeah and, and i talked about it it was a calling because when um i had opportunities that were presented to me uh when um when it's interesting what you put when you put yourself out there for like a superintendent of state police your name kind of gets out there mm-hmm. right and and people start inquiring so i got a few calls like hey if that don't work out would you be interested in this or that and uh, but i've always had a desire to uh to kind of uh, i wanted to run my own business mm-hmm. right that's that's kind of something that i was uh, doing so prior to that I uh, I invested in my future and I, I invested in uh, I had been researching on some leadership um, uh, 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 concepts uh, uh, models that were out there uh, and, and the one that Kept drawing me, uh, uh, my heart to was uh, John Maxwell. John Maxwell. So I uh, invested some, some of my own money, and uh, and uh, I I went to one of the John Maxwell. And for
1: people uh, who don't know, and yeah. I don't know how you couldn't, but but John Maxwell is one of the preeminent speakers yes. on the planet. He has motivated Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. He has spoken with everyone from presidents to you know, religious leaders and people. And he is regarded as one of the great minds as it relates to focus, accountability, motivation. I mean, yeah. I can't remember how many books he's written. Oh, he's, there's been a lot of them, but John, but so you were
2: going to be one, uh, in his speaking circle. That is correct. So what I did was, um, back when I went to the FBI national Academy, I did that back in, uh, um, I believe it was 2005. And, um, I went through the National Academy. While at the FBI Academy, uh, the, the University of Virginia is is uh, it's who uh, you're attending courses mm-hmm. through them to get your credits. Uh, I did a independent study on community police relations, and, and one of the things that I argued was that in my study was that when you can increase uh, 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 interaction between law enforcement and the community mm-hmm. and it's not based on a negative stimulus that you improve community police relations you're not responding to a call for service something bad has happened and when you can uh, increase uh, 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 interaction based on a positive stimulus right. then that itself so so i wanted to tie that into kind of like my business right okay. and um, i've been flirting with it for a while in my mind and i said well when i retire this is what i'm going to do so uh, I looked at the leadership course and uh, I went to Orlando, Florida, and uh, one of the best investments I ever made, man. Why so? So what, what's unique about John Maxwell? He's proud. Now let's just call no, it yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's yeah, not no, cheap. he's confident.
1: It's not. No, cheap. no, no. You're
2: gonna okay. pay for it. You're gonna pay for it. No, no, he's he's earned that. Yeah, it's about five racks, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, yeah. So, you know, for a few days, you're like, "Ooh, what am I doing?" But God was leading me there, man. But when you get there. Because everyone has made that same commitment you made. I'm like, I'm gonna get I'm like I'm going everywhere, I'm gonna be engaged, I just spent a lot of money right. to be here. Right. So because you're there with people who wanna be there, mm-hmm. um, you are around people from oh my gosh, we had a nonprofit, faith-based businesses. I didn't see too many from law enforcement. I think I met one guy there that was from law enforcement. But you're dealing with a lot of nonprofit, a lot of uh, 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 um, um, a lot of uh, life coaches. There were a lot of life coaches that were there, but you're dealing with everybody who wants to be there. And part of the training is peer peer editing, peer. Uh, editing where you are dealing with your peers and they're giving you feedback, mm-hmm. and everybody's just excited and everybody's highly motivated. And there's this energy when you first get there that you can see, but when you leave, there's a synergy mm-hmm. that's going on. And then you leave there with a different mindset like you want to just go there and just save the world, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's what it did for me. and, and in the training sessions, uh, there, there are exercises that you go through. With, with, with you, and and I've all, I have always would tap into my experience as law enforcement. So, you know, people would comment, hey, you know, that's a good idea. You know, maybe you should think about being the chief one day. I'm like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'm going to take this, uh, this certified training course. And I'm going to go out there and, and teach uh, the John Maxwell Leadership Way. And it's interesting because... Uh, Someone recommended uh, that that I apply to to the police department, and the day I flew back, the day I flew back from uh, uh, Orlando was the deadline to apply for the Chief of Police of Baton Rouge, same day. And uh, the reason I was able to do it was because I had just applied for state police, so my resume was updated, I had all of my information. You know, had the resume and, you know, leadership is leadership. So some of the principles that I was presenting wasn't that different than what I was uh, wanted to do with LSP if I was blessed with that opportunity as well. So um, because I had a package ready, I was able to submit that. And uh, then I went through the process and uh, and I prayed on it, and it was a long process. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say, man, when you're gonna make a decision on this? You know, this committee, there was a committee. Well, you know, you're familiar with yeah, the process, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but you know, I learned so much through that process and uh, so many uh, great questions, uh, meeting people in the community, and the follow, you know, the finally you know, be given the opportunity and, 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 and the prey on it. And cause it wasn't supposed to happen mm-hmm. and the way it happened, let me know that, yeah, this is in God's plan.
1: It was so interesting. Did you ever have a conversation with Carl Dabody as you were coming in? I know that y'all were transitioning and, yeah. and as I've understood it, it's always been respectful and everything between y'all. Did y'all have a conversation when you came in?
2: Yeah, I did. I called Carl. I spoke with Carl and Carl gave me some, uh, some, some good information. I spoke to, um, um, Chief Laduff, mm-hmm. yeah, I spoke to Chief Laduff. Live wire, right there. Yeah, yeah I spoke to Chief Laduff. I spoke to Carl. I spoke to Chief White, and and I think uh, you know this this there's a fraternity, uh, uh, being chief that that you know you don't really know or understand it until you get in that chair. What was the biggest surprise once you were officially the guy and you were in there? The biggest thing that you went huh, at. The learning curve for me coming from state government to city government, um, you know, you know, you, you, I am appointed by the mayor, right? Um, um, I, I also we also have a city consul, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, the union has a lot of influence, uh, you know, from a historical perspective because yep. they've been very, uh, you know, they're part of the culture right. and, and the fabric of this agency, right? Uh, and not really doing enough research to understand that, and then the politics associated with all of that. <laughs> That was, um, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say that first. I underestimated that. (laughs) I think, yeah, I really did. The politics of it. And uh, that was, um, there was a big, big learning curve, you know, for that. And then, you know, you you start sitting in a chair. And and that's why I say I'll never judge anybody. And, you know, and 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 it's interesting because we were talking about this uh, the other day. Uh, You know, until you're in that position, you really don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're making decisions. That uh, impact the community. Uh, you, you're making decision that in, that that have you know uh, impact police officers' lives. You know, with mm-hmm. discipline discipline isn't easy, right? You know, to sit there and 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 have to make a decision on somebody that's going to have an impact on their livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and police officers have spouses, they have kids, and until you're in those positions and you have to make those hard decisions. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know, and then you think about like uh, you know, I think about Carl, and and to have to go through that, you know, you talked about the Alton Sterling mm-hmm. incident and the events after that, mm, the flood, yeah, and then you talk about the the the, the incident of our heroes being shot mm-hmm. and killed, and then the flood, yeah. and to be the the, the chief yeah. to go through those three significant events, you know, I tell in you, in less I have, than forty days. Yeah, and sometimes you, you know you forget that, and 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 as chief to, to to think of what Carl had to deal with, right, going through those significant events is uh, is, it, it's a lot because I haven't had to right. deal with it. Well, nobody like has. You know?
1: Prospectively speaking, yeah, that's he, why. you know he held it together when because you know the you start off with the upheaval that right. hap- happened after Sterling after Sterling was shot, and you know. A week and a half, a little less than a week and a half later, you get these three officers who were who were killed, not to mention others who were wounded, and Nick Toulier, who's still you know, still dealing with it. And then you come through that and then the flood happens. Yep. So uh, it was it was a tough time. And and so when you come in, that's the backdrop and Because I think one of the things that you had working for you is because you were so new to the area Almost everyone kind of took a a wait-and-see attitude and said okay. Let me let me for the most part stay out of the way when you came in You started making the department at least at its highest level in the image of what you thought it should be You brought in there three deputy chiefs, yes, sir which I believe is the first time that's happened in the history of the department that there have been three deputy chiefs. That's correct. And these are all three people that the community knows. Herbert, Annie, Tweedy, as we all call him, yeah. who's who's been in the who's been in the community and a part of all these community events. And I met Tweedy when I was helping Hiller with Brave, mm-hmm. and. You know, Robert McGarner, who's a street cops, street cops. And I'm telling you, he's going to yeah. get on my list if he keeps posting all these pictures of food. And I never get a phone call. I know, you know, my number, Matt. And then there is Johnny Dunham, who yeah. is who was the interim, who was right. holding it down when you came in. Yes, and so now they are there. But then you start moving people around or, or transferring people and, and, and making changes. What about that part? Because you you made there are a lot of people going,
2: what? Because yes. it, it it rose to the newspaper. That stuff doesn't normally get in the paper, but it did. Well, so. yeah, it did. Because you know when you can when you get in a position like this, you know people in your ear, yeah, you know people telling you to do this, do that, or watch this one, or promote this one to that position. You know the the whole deputy mm-hmm. chief uh, um, incidents, and you know some people have good intentions. Uh, some people have. Uh, 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 other motives and, and, and why they're trying to do that. Uh, but because you're getting fed with so much information from polit- from a political standpoint, uh, from community leaders, mm-hmm. you know, people who say, you know, this one is that and this one is that. And then you got to, you know, you, you got to get to a point where you're like, OK, I, I have to do what God has led me here to do. And, and the three deputy chiefs were kind of easy because, you know, I had an opportunity to to listen to those guys and, and to watch them. But I can feel their hearts. And I knew all three of their hearts were in the right place, uh, even though they may not necessarily have uh, believed in everything that I was doing. Uh, I knew their heart was in the right place and I knew I can work with that and we can work together as, as a team to accomplish a desired outcome. So that was easy. Um, you know, when. January to June was rough. And when, when, when May, May was to me my eye opener because I had not made any significant changes, uh, particularly when it came to leadership positions. So when, when May came and we had uh, uh, the number of murders that we had, which was a wreck, I believe it was 12 or 13, it was our highest month, I knew we had to do something different. And I knew that I couldn't continue to just say, okay, it's going to be business as usual. We'd we'll have to do a little things different, something different. So, that's when we began to make some changes. And I, and I looked at some areas where uh, I wanted to make some changes in the mm-hmm. commander position. That's when we did that. <laughs> you pissed some people uh, off for that with moving folks well, around. But well, what happened after that, Clay? See, that's 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 God though, because you see, that's what happened in May. And then June was a little less. And then we began. To do what we say, what we're going to do, and focus on those small group of individuals. We're going to continue to stay focused on our community building, mm-hmm. uh, breaking down police relations, and you know we are doing something every day somewhere. So uh, you're saying the, the restructuring of your department and putting people where you
1: think they fit best, regardless of how they felt about it, which is kinda gonna be the way. It kinda goes back to what you yeah. said you thought about when they moved you to IA, that, that something you thought negatively ended up being a great opportunity. You're saying that these changes are were a direct tactic on your part to get a better output
2: to the community, or yeah, ex- explain it, it a little was, bit. It was It was my observation from January to May. Okay. On individuals that I thought needed to be moved Not necessarily that they were bad or anything But sure. I just thought that in some cases It wasn't round pegs and round holes In some cases the heart probably wasn't in the right place In some places uh, there was probably some undermining Of my authority or my position on certain issues So I thought it was important uh, at that time To, to make those moves uh, And then June happened we saw some reductions um, when July 1st came in and we looked at the first numbers I was worried I was mm-hmm. like oh no how long this is gonna be you understand right. we were 33 percent more homicides in July 1st we were 33 percent increase so, We were were way ahead of last year's pace. That is correct. I I don't think the public
1: knew that early on, especially going and wrapping up the second quarter of the year. We were
2: on pace to blow away what we did last year. That's correct. And and crime overall was down in certain areas. Uh, Not not, not Nothing to be proud of numbers, but violent crime overall was down. Shot spotted data was down. Yeah. Um, Other than, but homicides were up. Yep. That was, uh, you know, we were worried. Yeah but we began to stay focused what we were doing. You know, we had our new leadership in and then we knew we were going into July and August which are which are historically our worst months, right. not just for the Baton Rouge Police Department, but all over you know America when you look at inner cities and and and, and um, uh, large cities like ours, summer months are the worst. Yep. And then what happened? We had our best Summer months. We had 20 years. years. Four, 25 homicides in July and August, and we had six, I believe, during mm-hmm. the same time frame. Um, and and uh, so July and August, since 2002, we hadn't seen that in July. Uh, so those numbers were very impressive. And and there were some things that we did on yeah. our part uh, that are not for public consumption. sure. Uh, um, uh, you know, engaging some some of those individuals who we believe are responsible for some of the violence, and I think that had a direct result on on that July and August, and then we seen a little uptick in September, and we began to get focused again. I think uh, we had a little burnout in some areas, and here we are October, yeah. And uh, our goal is to finish out like that. You know, there's some efforts that are going to happen tonight. From last <coughs> month to this month, it's been less than five. Five what?
1: Murders from last to about from, this month yeah, here. Yeah, from, well, going into this month, where are we? One, there's only one, one or two. There's one. There was one because one, Hiller one. was here last week. Just one. And homicide. what was the number for September? Actually, so, sept- the beginning yeah, September, of September was, September was a little worried.
2: I mean, we had the high-profile yeah, incident. That's, that's right. We had a couple other ones. Yeah. Uh, even though uh, our September was still less than uh, than the previous month. Right. But here's what happened: we were 33 percent homicides. Thirty-three percent increase in homicides going into the second quarter. I'm the second quarter of this year, the second half. Second half, right? Uh, Thirty-three percent in July. Okay, right now we're Mm -hmm. right about nineteen percent reduction in homicides. Yeah, but we went from a thirty-three percent increase in homicides, uh, and then July happened, August happened, Mm -hmm. and we were at a 13% decrease just in those two months. And in fact, I talked about it last week. If,
1: knock on wood, we don't, but if we did the exact numbers for October, November, and December from last year, we would still be behind the overall total of 2017. Oh, absolutely. We're probably right now. We were like it was like yeah. 45 or something last week behind overall behind yeah, last about, year's right. pace. Total, yeah, for, for the parish, right? For, for the, the par- city, we're yeah. probably around 39 maybe or something like that. So I mean, that is that is an astronomical dip from last year. Absolutely. I want to ask you this before we go too far ahead with it, because because I, because there, you mentioned one with the young man who's a basketball player at LSU, which was high profile, and I think that one was interesting because of all of the moving parts as it related to closing that one, and the biggest moving part being the public, but I'm going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. You come in, and in the first half of the year, you just talked about having to move people around and make changes that you thought you thought would would suit the public and the department better. But you had a big something sitting on your plate to decide on. The fate of the officers and the incident with Alton Sterling. And I remembered, because I did coverage on WAFB when the announcement was made by the Attorney General and then of course later that day you made an announcement about when you would decide on what would happen with these officers. Now I know that there is a lot to this that you can't talk about this especially because there is still it's not yet done yet. Right, there's right? an appeal coming. There's up. an appeal coming up. But as you are coming in and getting your mind around what happened, you have to know cuz you said it in your speech that you're not you either way somebody's going to be angry with you. Right. Take us inside of your processing of the situation and what you saw your responsibility as being.
2: Well, you know, <clears throat> Obviously there's a lot of misinformation that gets put out there through social media, uh, uh, through, through, through the media and other outlets, uh, uh, so, but I have to deal with the facts that I know of. So I don't make decisions until, I respect processes, and I don't make decisions until we hold a hearing and we go through that process and all of the information is presented to me. And, and I don't let outside influences uh, away into those decisions. Um, Explain what do you. Yeah. uh, I'm I'm going to deal with the facts uh, because I know I'm not going to please everybody. Right. right. So I know that going in. Right. right. So when I sit in there and I listen to uh, the the, the deputy chiefs, when I listen to the, the investigators, when I listen to the accused officers, I take all of that in consideration and then I make a decision based on all the evidence that was presented. But my decision isn't made until that process has concluded. Do, did you did you take into account the way your officers would feel one way or the other based upon your decision? No, I, I take I take that into account after I make the decision okay. and how I'm going to communicate that to them. Okay. I take that into account uh, after I make the decision. How heavily a role did the mayor play in you making your decision? The mayor knew about my decision right before I walked out and uh, had that press conference. That's when she knew what my decision was going to be, just like others uh, knew uh, what my decision was going to be right. Right before the press conference, when you look back on that, and just in retrospect, because I'm I'm sure
1: from time to time it has to cross your mind when you look back on that, what do you think about? the entire process and the way it culminated, at least that phase of it, on Good Friday.
2: Well, the decision, I think about how I communicated it. You know, I do, I'm very self-critical. In fact, I'm going through my yearly self-evaluation now, and I've learned mistakes that I've made internally, you know, with my staff. uh, I, I solicit. And I like feedback. What can I do better? You know, I don't. Last thing I want to do is surround myself by people who just tell me what I want to hear. You can never grow um, that way. So I try to see what, how you know, what what type of leadership am, am I uh, uh, presenting? Yeah, that people are not, you know, feel safe where they can come to me and say, "Hey, chief, you need to chill out," or "Hey, right. chief, that was a bad decision. Let right. me tell you why." Okay. Um, so. I'm really going through this self evaluation, but I think, uh, yeah, like I could have communicated that a little better. You know, one of the things uh, going in, uh, you know, I talked about this six point strategy for the first year, and we'll talk about that uh, soon, but one of them was I wanted to connect with people. And, and that's one of the things I look at. I could have done a little better job. Oh, I should have said this, or I wish I could have just highlighted that so I could touch our officers so they could really understand. And then part of me was like, I couldn't say everything because there's an appeal process. Right. And, and, and it was already communicated before I made a decision that there was gonna be an appeal, which I didn't quite understand that because I had not made a decision yet. Um, but yeah, I wish I could have communicated Uh, some things a little better so people could have probably more understood why I made the decisions that I made when
1: you know that was such an interesting week because again the the final decision was made on the Friday before Easter so you make the decision you got the holiday that comes and then you go back to work and once you go back to work what's the atmosphere
2: Um, I mean I think I do Early on, that everybody in the department didn't agree uh, with, with with the decision that I made. You can feel it. You can see it uh, in, in in some settings. But uh, you know, I, we have to stay focused and keep moving on. And it's okay. What can I do to, to continue to, you know, empower you know our officers to let them know that um, you know I do have their back. I do support them. Uh, and and we're going to continue moving forward. Um. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a it was a it was a it was an emotional time, you know, to see them. You know, uh, am I losing guys, or, or what do I have to do to get the guys behind me? And, and I I pray on that, I really do. I, I pray on that. Uh, you know, we just left IECP where I took a lot of our officers with us. Uh, where we talked about leadership, uh, uh, some some opportunities, uh, some some initiatives we're going to be doing next year. Uh, it was important for me because I've learned that. You know, communication is so important and uh, I've been trying to get out more and meet with the boots on the ground to tell them what I'm feeling, to hear what they're saying, to hear what's in their heart, to try to paint the picture where I believe we should be going as an agency. Uh, and, 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 you know, to send a message that change should be embraced. Change is a good thing. You know, when we hear change when we hear reform only means change. Right. right? That's all it means. And but there's this negative association with the word. And what I try to tell people is like, you know, change is good because we should always be reevaluating every year, at least annually, what we do and how we do business. Because the public's expectation on how we do our change, our job changes. Mm-hmm. And when we look at companies like I, Apple, I don't know how I'm on my third Apple phone. Right. And I like the first one they have. yeah. But yet every year, Apple is reinventing themselves. Constant evolution. Constant. Because they say, yeah, we got a great pod product, but we want to make it better. Now I was satisfied with the first product, okay? But yet every every year there's an upgrade. Every other year there's an upgrade. And that's how we have to be as an agency, reevaluate because when you don't, you find yourself like Sears. Yep, or Toys R Us. Or Toys R Us. And that's all it is. So we should kind. Con- that's what the progressive agencies are doing. You know, we may not always agree with it, mm-hmm. but but change is is, is inevitable.
1: <laughs> one of the one of the interesting perspectives that you give when and I've heard you Give this speech a couple of times. You know, the the night that you made the initial decision, you talked about accountability for the officers, but you also talked about accountability on behalf of the public. Yeah, that the public is as responsible for the interaction with law enforcement as are cops when they interact with the public. And what I see play out a whole lot, Chief, is on social media. You find that you have people on both sides who lob stereotypes across the middle. And I don't think it works either way. People Just because someone lives in a poor community or is an African-American male doesn't mean they want to kill you. I mean, that's such a layered environment anyway. And, and I said this at the thing we did at the River Center, just because a person is in uniform doesn't mean that they want to drag you out of your car and beat the hell out of you for 20 or 30 minutes. <laughs> So then with with that being the context of how the media presents law enforcement's interaction with people, because they'll pick a story where an officer may have gone off the reservation with something and spread it across there. You got a big job now, because you have to be able to get these two sides to trust and work with one another, while at the same time being credible with both
2: sides. How do you do that? Well, you know, and I think I, I recognize that coming in. That part of my job is to 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 manage perceptions, how the community sees us as law enforcement officers, but also how we see the community that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes those perceptions are not always based on factual information, right? Yep. Sometimes it's based on what's trending on social media yep. or, or, or what's sensationalized uh, in, in the media. So I. I did understand that, and and, and, and we're still not there yet uh, in terms of how we can do better in managing that, because one of the things I recognize mm-hmm. is that we don't do a good job of telling our own story, and, and I'm working on that. Yeah. I don't know how to do that, because I think that when I look at some agencies who have an entire social media section, mm-hmm. who have... Pios, because uh, uh, right now we got two Pios, mm-hmm. right? Daryl, look uh, at I me, mean, Don, and um, Gino, and Gino, and that's just that's just not where we should be. You know, state police probably have about eleven.
1: You You're know, saying you need about, more people in that in that absolutely. department. I have
2: to do that because I don't always have control. We, as an agency, don't always have control on what the media is going right. to say. We don't always have control on what's trending on social media Mm -hmm. but we do have control in telling our message and that's what we've been lacking on um, telling our own story because we are so responsive as opposed to being proactive and doing that because there's so many great things that's going on in this police department yeah you know uh, you know you talk about the 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 the, the few officers that may make a mistake uh, or 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 the few that don't deserve the weather badge but those are a few And Mm -hmm. we need to remember that, that the majority, the vast majority of our police officers are good police officers who are doing this job because it's a calling, who came here with a servant heart, who don't do it for the money, Mm -hmm. but want to help people. And those are the, that's the norm. Okay? Like your guy who was uh, on the snow cone truck
1: last night yeah. who had more fun than I think some of the kids out there. He could have uh, stayed another hour, just him yeah. and the music he was playing. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the, what do you do? And this is not just for, for you as the executive of the police department, but just as someone in the city, because I see it too. What do we do about the racial divide that we hear so much about? Now, my personal perspective mm-hmm. is that there are fewer people who care about that than we make it out to be, make it out uh, to be. Because if you watch the way, and I always use the example that the media said about Baton Rouge in July, how divided we were, and how. Hmm how acidic and toxic the atmosphere here was and it's just it's one of the worst places ever then the flood happens and you have people who live in different parts who are helping one another hopping on boats and going to help their neighbors white and black and I I'd like well okay well which one is real right because both right. of them happened yeah. <laughs> you know so what about that it's just making people understand that we we are a city
2: that can do this ourselves. well <clears throat> the answer is to prayer through prayer, uh, I, I, I don't know if there's a one-size-fit-that-that-fits-all answer to that, and I think it's, I think it's bigger than the Baton Rouge the Police Department. is bigger than the community. I think we've seen that happen on a national level. right. Um, you know, we have to get to a place where we are respectful uh, uh, in our discourse, in our mm-hmm. words, that we're civil, uh, and, and I think we can still communicate our disagreements. We can. Articulate our right. differences sure. without uh, uh, being disrespectful, right? And, and I think that's what I see. I see, uh, you know, uh, the disrespect. You know, that's one of the things we talk about as an agency. You know, respect. Respect goes mm. both ways. We're supposed to respect the community, and we're asking the community to respect us as well, because respect goes both ways, right? Um, yeah, I think through prayer. Uh, but 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 I think what's happening in, in, in the Baton Rouge community what I see when, when we end the year with only 40, right around 46% clearance rate. And right now we're clearing homicides at about 64, 65%. Right. That's yeah. over 20 points. Yes. Yeah. And in, and in a couple of months we were at seven, 75% in May, which was our worst month. Uh, we came around and, uh, we had 10 homicides in September, which is uh, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And then we got it together again in October. Uh, that doesn't happen without the community doing their part. Well, let's, let's go
1: right to that because you mentioned a couple of the, the high profile shootings that have happened. You in August held a presser where you spoke with the community through the media. Mm-hmm. And when you called everyone together, when you, know, you said you wanted to address what was happening with crime, I assumed people expected a lecture. And what they got instead was you saying, we are starting to get our hands on this, and the main reason is because
2: the people are talking. Yes, sir. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it starts at home. Yeah. You know, I, you know, we, I don't know how many homicides we've had this year, and I can go over them individually, where they were actually in somebody's yard, in somebody's house. You know, we've had uh, 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 simple incidents that turned into homicides. We had a shooting incident. And and I watched this video. Uh, it was on the uh, uh, homecoming uh, in, in Baton Rouge, uh, yeah. of one of our great uh, uh, institutions of learning. Yep. And it was nowhere near the University. No, it was, was it was near Southern. It wasn't yeah, on the campus. Right. It wasn't at all. on the campus. But yeah. of course, it was referenced with Southern, yep. which 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 which, which to was me, unfortunate. Absolutely. Yeah. But our response time wasn't a minute; it was seconds. Mm-hmm. Seconds and it's because of that response time that we were able to identify a suspect because our police officer uh, was there immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see so many of these uh, these uh, homicides where, you know, if if I had. Fifty, hundred more officers; those homicides would have still happened. Those right. incidents would have still happened, right? Because it didn't even matter that there was a police officer around the corner. Mm-hmm. Look, that culture of violence of, of young men, and, and particularly in Baton Rouge, is African American men. That's right. where most of our uh, their uh, most of our victims are, are, right. are, are African American, and the suspects who are involved in these are African American. Right, eighty more than eighty percent in both sides. So we need to teach these young black men on how to resolve their differences, just like mm-hmm. you and I, mm-hmm. without uh, reaching for a gun, some, some some type of violence, right. you know. And you know, I, we're the most well trained police department. We got so many things that are, that are happening. That's not going to stop that culture of right. violence. It starts at home. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the first things I did, I went around uh, uh, um, to churches. I visited a lot of churches in my first few months here and still do visit churches. And one of the things that I, you know, when I'm communicating communicating to the congregation is that the young men that we're dealing with that are involved in this culture of violence, they don't go to the churches on Sundays. No. They're not in the congregation, right? They're in the streets. Yep. And if our churches are going to do what I believe is part of their mission as a church. They got to get from behind the pulpits and they got to start hitting the communities and evangelizing to the laws to try to touch the hearts of these young men because those individuals we are dealing with need a change of heart. And right. those are the only two, two, two institutions, faith and family, because it starts at home. And when we are united in that, and we begin to do that without fear, uh, Yeah, I think that's going to be the answer. You know, there there are pastors that are praying. I get texts all the time and emails from pastors saying we're praying for the community. We're praying for this violence. And I hope that uh, how we end this year Mm -hmm. on a very positive note, that we're going to use that as momentum to say that prayer does work. Because it's it's time, man, because for... For so long, it just felt like
1: we were just trying to grasp something to keep from sliding further down into the abyss. And now it does feel like there is that momentum that is trying to build. And, and I think one of the main reasons is you talk about it. The people are saying, OK,
2: I've had enough of this. People sick and tired. We got mothers. We got mothers. I was in a meeting today with my commanders, a meeting today where there is a, a young man that we believe is a. Uh, 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 Involved in some violent behavior and we're trying to intervene. Uh, And that came from a mother that came from a mother of a friend of the person who's involved in this. And we're doing knocking talks. We're trying to we're talking to family members and parents saying, look, this situation is escalating. We're no longer going to sit on what we call actionable intelligence. Mm -hmm. We're going to do something about it tonight tonight at seven o'clock. There's a group of guys in our community that we're gonna be having a heart-to-heart direct conversation with that's not for your listeners to hear about, but we're gonna deal with it. We're no longer gonna sit there and allow you to terrorize our community. We're gonna confront you on it, we're gonna have a conversation. Mm -hmm. If we got probable cause, we're gonna take you to jail. But if we don't have probable cause, there are things that we can do a little different that we never did before. Being proactive absolutely what what you, you started talking about it a second ago your overall plan for BRPD yeah. like what what is your what's your your plan your outlook your objectives well you know when I came in I talked about this six- point strategy okay and uh, that in those six point strategy was to uh, to 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 have a more fish a more mission focused organization mm-hmm. to reduce crime. Right. That's targeting that small group of individuals that we believe are responsible for majority of the crime in the city, placing more offices on the street was the second. Um, improving community police relations was the third strategy. Uh, cultivating integrity and accountability was, uh, was the fourth. Uh, the fifth was creating a plan for technology uh, and equipment improvements within right. the department. And, and the sixth was listening to key audiences and developing relationships. Mm-hmm. Those were the six-point strategies. And, you know, we were uh, at IECP, a team uh, went out there, and, and we began to put together our notes and our briefings up because we are the recipients of a collective healing grant where the federal government has recognized there's something unique going on in the city of Baton Rouge because of all of the incidents you talked about there's a lot of trauma in this community no doubt not only from the citizens but from our police officers Absolutely. as well so what this uh, grant does is provides training uh, and technical assistance to us to help deal with that trauma uh, and that research is going on now we're partnering with LSU Southern University 100 black men in double ACP and uh, the behavior science, you right there on government. Yeah. I, yeah, I butcher there, that, that acronym sometimes. But what what we've done is we, we talked about this mission-focused organization to reduce crime in our city. So what we've done since January, uh, we're using a crime analysis and data-driven approach uh, to to uh, to address this issue. We think data should drive everything we do. Mm-hmm. We started our Peace Cop initiative where we are pushing information to our commanders and now to our police officers so that they can be proactive so they know and have real-time data about the crime that's happening in their areas of responsibility right so we've done that um, working with the uh, the DA and others I know the we, the district attorney's just been uh, the recipient of a uh, crime gun intelligence center grant you mm-hmm. probably heard about that but the partnership with the sheriff's office, You know, and and the crime crime strategy unit uh, of the district attorney's office. But what we've done is we've began to have a more focused approach to that small group of individuals. That's why we're meeting tonight, Mm -hmm. because it's about those small group of individuals, not the good law-abiding citizens in those areas. Because here's the facts those areas where crimes are worse those areas where we have what we call hot spots mm-hmm. the people in those communities want the crime out more than me and you cuz they live it every day they and they
1: say it all the time which by the way i don't want to really chase this rabbit but i got to say we, we we saw something yesterday yes, sir that we're going to do something about that is a scenario that people are living in that should never be allowed it started this morning inspections
2: are already yep. happening
1: yep yeah, the mayor's we, office jumped on it we saw yeah. something yesterday that was, I mean, everybody who was there in that circle of us, including Coach Miles, everybody was agitated, angry, and just, and like I said to you yesterday, you're glad you saw it, but you're so sad you saw it, you know, And, and that is what it takes, so Long term, because I don't know how much longer you're going to want to do this. And I know that you've been in law enforcement a long time. If you look at this yourself, have you given yourself a timeline to say, I'd like to have this done by this period or...
2: No, I think I think with the wins, I really think that some of the things we're gonna be doing next year. I really think and I talk about the three Ts, things take time. So there's two things. There's the internal right changes that we're making, uh, cultural changes uh, within the department. We talked about perceptions, how mm-hmm. we see the community, how the community seen us. That's that takes time. That doesn't right. happen overnight. In right. this culture of violence that have happened in this city for so long. Will not happen overnight. Can't fix so that we overnight. gotta understand that. Because it it's a case. culture, like you said, Absolutely. it's cultural. Things yeah. take time. But I do believe we're gonna see some wins this year and, and we're gonna be even more strategic uh, uh, next year with some some things that we're gonna be implementing. Uh, and, and we're gonna look at them as little wins at a time. And, and here's some of the wins that we've had. I, 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 you heard the stats. Mm-hmm. Mission Focus Organization, First Strategy. I gave you those two. Look, our Street Crimes Unit and the the SCAT team for the Sheriff's Office partnering together to target this small group with the understanding that when we go in those areas, the majority of the people are good law-abiding citizens. Mm -hmm. So we're not treating everybody like these bad apples, or these bad actors is what's the word I was using. Mm -hmm. I wanted to use these bad actors. We're gonna treat those bad actors uh, 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 in a very more focused wing mm-hmm. and tell them to put the guns. They're out. gonna have your undivided attention. Exactly, we talked about placing more officers on the streets, you know. We are and, and have been looking at some administrative positions or positions within a department where we may not necessarily need a gun-toting police officer in that position. How can we civilianize those positions so that we can take those police officers and put them out there in areas where we really need them. So that's one of the things that um, uh, we've been doing, we moved a few positions around and we're looking at some other positions. We're going to be meeting with the, uh, the union uh, this week.
1: I was going to ask to talk to, about that because I was going
2: to ask you about that. But before I get to the union,
1: I know that you've talked about pay raise and, and yep. that's been a discussion yes, for a long time here yep. is b- because police officers in Gonzales make more than police officers in the capital city's law enforcement yes, agency. Sir, more than 10,000. And it's been an issue for a very long time going mm-hmm. back several mayors. Mm-hmm. So how, how, why should we believe that this time we're going to be able to fix this and at least do something to bring up the pay for officers coming in?
2: Well, w- what I hope and, and I desire is that the the hard work and efforts of our Baton Rouge police officers, you know, I came in like I came in as an outsider mm-hmm. and coming in as an outsider. It, I was tr- I'm trying to earn their trust. Some sure. I have and some I'm still trying to earn their trust. Right. But the work that they're putting in as a police agency uh I think it's going to be uh, reflected at the end of this year when we start talking about these numbers. Even these wins that I'm talking about. Yes, the community is doing their part. Yes, the community is stepping up. But our police officers play a vital role in those numbers that I gave. Those reductions that we're going to see in crime. And I believe this and I mean it. At the end of this year, we're going to be like, wow. Baton Rouge, that's impressive. Yeah, And that's impressive because we're breaking down community police uh, barriers. We have a better relationship with the people we serve. Our police officers are out there doing their job. Right, They're stepping up, being a more professional law enforcement agencies. And we're gonna ask the community to reward our officers for that. Yeah, And I think it's the right thing to do uh, when we see this change. And I hear it from the community. Right, We see changes. I've heard it from everywhere we go. We mm-hmm. see people say, you know what, we're noticing changes in the police department. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And What we're gonna say is, yeah, we're noticing them too. Now help us pay our police officers (laughs) the money that they deserve.
1: And I think you're right. I think it is the right thing to do, period.
2: Absolutely.
1: It is the right thing to do. And when people talk about wanting to attract young people to law enforcement, you think Mm -hmm. about it. Some kid that goes out and earns a four-year degree who's already got— student loan and all of the stuff that, you know, goes along with that. And you're asking them to come to a job that's going to pay them less than they could make interning at a law firm or doing something in some, some office place. I mean, it just, it isn't there. And so when the, and I think the public will stick up. I mean, I remember, you know, when we finally needed to support a pothole tax here to do something about the roads, it passed because the public said, okay, we got to do something. Yep. And I think this is kind of where it is. We have to do something again, like you said in Gonzales. They make ten grand more, more than than ten, more than ten grand more than the Baton Rouge Police Department. And then, and then you working with the union, as you said, they've always been, you know, a a stakeholder and one of the key players in there. You and Brian Taylor and getting along. How, How is that going? Yeah,
2: he, he came to ICP. Yeah, he, he came to Orlando. super tenacious guy yeah. Brian Taylor. Came to ICP with us, and uh, I know he was exposed to some 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 training, some best sure. practices around the country. Uh, in fact, we were. We're supposed to have a meeting, and we keep uh, uh, putting it off because we have things going, but we're going to be meeting this week. We're actually okay. going on a retreat. Okay. Uh, my senior staff and I are meeting with uh, union reps. We're going to be meeting uh, Thursday and Friday. We're going out of town okay. to sit down and go over some things. The union contract will be sure. a part of that conversation, uh, the uh, the raise. Uh, mm-hmm. the um, a study, What's yeah. the status on that? That's going to be part of our conversation and policy is going to be part of our conversation as well. And we're going to talk about these uh, these wins that we've had this year and how can we move forward in 2019 right. and the rest of this year. Sure. United and not focusing on maybe the 10, 5 percent or 10 percent things that we may differ yeah. in. But let's focus on the 90 percent of the things that we can agree on. I was going to ask you what your goals were and then you just answered that. So okay. uh, now a
1: little bit of, of more about yesterday and these things that, that we've done and a little bit on what and based on what we can talk about, about this thing that's going on tonight. Yesterday, for those of you who are unaware, I was a group of law enforcement business people, clergy, community folks who got together and walked in North Baton Rouge and Scotlandville specifically. And people have asked, because we've done a number of these, you know, what are y'all trying to accomplish? And like I said yesterday at the beginning of this, the talking to the crowd is that just meeting people, listening to people. Uh, ultimately, last night turned into something different because we saw a slum slumlord situation that's getting addressed right now. And I hope that puts people on notice that that business is not gonna go down as usual in this town. And the other thing is the number of people who were hungry. We gave out over 300 meals yes, sir. last night to people who had we not been there, children who probably wouldn't have eaten anything last night. Yes, sir. And the best part was the children, because they had a heck of a time coming out. The snow cone truck was a hit. And then all the people who were saying, thank you all for doing this. This is very yeah. nice. I mean, that's got to make you feel good. And then watching them interact with your officers who are out there, some of the street, uh, the, the the street guys were out there yesterday out tossing the football around with yeah, Les Miles. With Miles, wasn't, wasn't that awesome? Yeah, so, yeah, what about yeah. that? You're, you're watching that no, and then interacting it's, with it's, that. It's
2: it's, it's it's about building relationships, you know? When we start talking about improving community relations and actually to go out there and see it, and it's all of those sidebar conversations that you have with a mother, you know, uh, uh, with a father, and, 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 and somebody from the community who say, thank you for being here. And, and, and we're able to just have those direct, frank conversations about how we need your help. Mm-hmm. And we thank them for helping us get this reduction on crime. But you know what? We can't stop here. And we talk about love from a different perspective, about saving lives, about, you know, when you uh, know that one of your loved ones is going down the wrong path, mm-hmm. we don't typically pick the phone up and call the police. Well, you know what? That's why we have truce. Right. That's why we have Uh, 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 individuals who can come in and help us bring that difference or that beef that you may Mm -hmm. have so that it doesn't result to violence take up take us up on it right take us up on it yeah I I know I'd rather you know if you if you live in that life wouldn't you and I asked the guy wouldn't you rather see your brother every day as opposed to hugging him from a jail cell right so you either gonna go ride and die with him, right? And we know the finality of that. Yep. Or you can say, "Nah, I love you so much, I'm not gonna let you follow through with that threat that you intend." Right. Right. That's right. love. That is love.
1: And the end result of that is better than the the first thing you mentioned. Absolutely. But you know, and watching people, Coach Miles said yesterday something at the end that I think we all kind of thought, but he put it into words, and he said. For young men, because he because he spent you know Melvin Hardnett and I were talking about this, he spent so much time in neighborhoods just like that, because Coach talked about how some of the best talent he ever put on the field at LSU came out of tough situations like mm-hmm. that, but he talked about how based upon the interaction kids had with officers, that yesterday may change their perspective so the next time they see one of your guys in their neighborhood their their direct point of reference is going to be tossing the football with them Mm -hmm. or having them hand them snow cones because when I tell you we gave out over 350 of those jokers yesterday and I think that's where it starts and so many people are talking but so few show up to be a part
2: of the solution yeah you know if we reach one and well done, right? That's it. Yeah. And you know, I, I really think that's where, uh, when we start talking about the long term impact, you know, that's, that's that same person who may have had a negative, uh, opinion or perception of law enforcement. And we've helped change that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the person who's going to pick up the phone and call us when there's a bad actor in the neighborhood. That's right. the person who's going to call us when they have information on who's committing crimes in their area. And you know, when we look at the, the call-ins that we're doing, the, the, the canvases like yesterday, uh, the family victim assistant coordinator, we, we created that position just to keep families updated on the progress and status of cases, that's mm-hmm. big. Um, we talk about our partnerships with organizations, our conversations with the cop, our boxing with the badge, kicking with the badge, basketball camp, and I can go on and on and on. Our prayer patrols that we're doing with the faith-based community—that's that third, a uh, six-point strategy right. we talked about. But then we talked about the the fourth one, which is cultivating. Uh, integrity and accountability within the department. You know, we recognize that some things that we can do internally to be better at our craft. Mm -hmm. We talk about how uh, Apple continues to reinvent themselves. Well, we've been doing that at the Baton Rouge Police Department. You don't always hear about it, but we've expanded our early warning system to include uh, not just accidents, use of force complaints, pursuits, crashes, leave taking, all of those things that tell us maybe something's going on because our police officers are human mm-hmm. and sometimes as humans we make mistakes and sometimes there are signs and indicators that we need to pay attention to and sometimes they need a break. That's mm-hmm. why we created our crisis incident stress management team and we sent a group of individuals to IACP to learn best practices because we understand that our police officers also need our Opportunities to reduce that cup of stress right. that we accumulate every day when we're out there patrolling. So we've done that. We've looked at our body camera policy and say we know that because the public has paid for it, yeah. then the expectation is we're going to turn them on. So yeah. we put policies in place to make sure that our police officers are, are turning the body cameras on because that's what the public expects. Uh, and we've been doing that. We we've been addressing some of the. Uh, 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 lawsuits that have been coming in that the public don't always hear about right. because of the accidents that we're involved in right so we're now going to have annual defensive driving and pursuit training to mm-hmm. make sure that our officers are not involved in as many crashes the online complaint system we created a complaint system where you can actually go online and file a complaint we've been doing that but you can also go online and give us a commendation for <laughs> right. doing a, a job well done. So we've created that we're actually going to be putting our policies, on the website. If you go to our website right now, you're gonna see policies pending. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something we wanna talk with the union about first before we do it and talk about sure. the advantages and being transparent. So uh, we're gonna be doing that as well. We talked about the creation of uh, 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 the victim assistance coordinator and a critical incident management team. Look, we are doing so many positive things to create accountability and integrity in the police department. And then we got that creating plan for technology. You're going to hear about this real-time crime center that we're trying to put together. Man, you've been talking about yes, that sir. for a few yes, weeks. Sir. And then yes, sir. It housed in your building or off-site somewhere? No, it's going to be in our building. We've already started the construction on it. In fact, I uh, approve uh, uh, some uh, um, funds today to help us with the electrical side of that. I've already talked to the sheriff about it, talked to the DA about it. Now, we want to... Uh, there's some presentations we have to make we want to make sure we get the support from our city council mm-hmm. uh before we move forward so we're putting uh plans together to 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 uh to show uh what our intent is with this real-time crime center to our city council and hopefully we can get some support on that because it's not necessarily just about crime it's also an office of safety issue right it really is right and when do you think you're going to be talking with them about that well hopefully uh before, the, at the next city council meeting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not okay. not the one today, but in yeah. November. So yeah, hopefully November. the plan is to have something in place to present to them in November so that we kick off 2019 <laughs> with this RTCC. <laughs> yeah. Guys are really excited about it. I love passion. I yeah. love to see guys out there. Uh, you know, I embrace technology and, and wanting to get this because there's a lot of information that that's available that we don't necessarily get out to our offices before they respond to a call for service. Right. That can help them make better informed decisions. For example, if I've been to your address before there's information out there that we can obtain so that we know when we're responding to that address, that that person uh, may have a mental illness. And what that mental illness is. Or we may want to know that Auntie so and so is the one who can calm him down. Right. Or that or that he's not been taking his medications. And we have so much information that's made available, that's available, but we don't access it in time. I wanna give our police officers that information, so they can make better form informed decisions when they're on calls for service, and that
1: helps with context when they show up to a situation. Yes, sir. Because they have it, they have background context, and and it'll, and I'm assuming it will help govern how you respond to the situation because yeah. you've got all
2: that background. Absolutely. All of the data that we, we want to search everything and anything related to that address, it could be a wanted person at mm-hmm. that address. Well, you know what? Our real time crime center have time to look for it and say, hey, be advised. There's a wanted subject. And by the way, here's his picture. <laughs> so now when I when I respond, I have more information right. that can help me. With uh, 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 you know, bringing closure to a situation, de-escalating a situation, and all of those things, you know, we ask a lot of our police officers. Mm-hmm. This is just one more tool in the chest to help them be better at their craft.
1: Man, as we wrap this up, yes, anything sir. you want to say to the public and then to your department that they get to hear from you, kind of uninterrupted, because this long-form discussion gives us a chance to have the talk yeah. without breaking every three minutes. I'm
2: sure you can get used to that. But, <laughs> but anything you want to say to the public or to law yeah. enforcement? Yeah, you know. I just wanna thank uh, law enforcement, our Baton Rouge police officers for stepping up and doing their uh, their part and helping us uh, with all of these wins and the community. Thank you for doing your part. I really believe we're gonna uh, continue this momentum that we've seen since uh, uh, the, the latter part of this, uh, this year and, and we're gonna finish real strong, real positive and we're gonna be rewarded for that and we're gonna ask the, the community to support us in our efforts. And uh, I'm just excited about the future of this organization, man. You know, we, uh, we, one thing I didn't talk about that last strategy was listening to key audiences and developing relationships. That's that sixth strategy. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we have to do a little better job. I do personally with some of our leaders. Uh, I haven't spent as much time with them as I have with the community, but uh, you know I'm here for the community. Let me right. make sure I say that, but we're creating a chief's advisory council. So that's something uh, the mayor and, and I uh, talked about, and we are still in the, the stages of, of planning that out, but uh, we look forward to that. So we've identified uh, organizations uh, that we've, uh, that I've dealt with since I've been here. And I know Mm -hmm. that their hearts are in the right place and we want to bring them at the table along with some other uh, leaders. One of the things that I've seen that we lack is getting our youth involved. Yeah, You know, Uh, so one of the things uh, our advisory council, we're going to ask LSU, we're going to ask Southern university and we're going to ask Baton Rouge community college to appoint someone to sit on this committee. Mm -hmm. And this committee will, you know, kind of act like a, a, a an advisory council mm-hmm. to, to some of the things that are going on in the community. Uh, we want to meet with everybody. Unfortunately, we don't have the time, sure. I don't personally, to meet yeah. with everybody. So this provides a, 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 uh, a, a, um, a quarterly meeting where I have all of these stakeholders at, at the table and I'm able to run things by them and, uh, and hear their concerns and, and, and recommendations. So that's something that I'm very excited about. Uh, and we hopefully we can have that by in November. Have our first meeting by November, so I can paint, help share with them where we're going in 2019, and talk mm-hmm. about all of these accomplishments that I just mentioned. Because it's going to be here before you know it. This oh, year is rolling flying. out of here, man. Oh my gosh, it's just time I mean, It seems flying. like October
1: just yeah. started and we're we're almost out of it. Yes know? sir. Yes sir. Well, Chief, I appreciate it. Don't be a stranger. I, and hey. I told I said this to Hiller. I said um, what when we get to the end of the year, I'll see about getting you and he and the sheriff on at the same time to kind of talk about what y'all what your your separate agencies are doing and then what you guys jointly have in store
2: for East Baton Rouge Parish as we go forward. Well, wow. I mean, I appreciate your efforts in trying to do that, but with the sheriff, you know, we're not going to handle a talk. Now, I'm just, I'm just saying. I appreciate your driving you don't know, try to get me I, look, Hey look. Me and Hiller uh, just gonna sit back, bring some popcorn. Hill and I just gonna sit back with the look, popcorn and look, let the sheriff. Move, look, man. No, you'll get
1: the first thirty minutes because if we tell him eleven o'clock, he'll get there at eleven thirty. <laughs> oh, oh man. I, I heard, love you, Chef. I love you, Chef. <laughs> Listen, man, I heard that at Hiller's fundraiser that he did a tight ten minutes on Hiller So but we appreciate Appreciated. Baton Rouge Police Chief Murphy Murphy Paul. Thanks, man.
2: Yes, sir.
0: This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your hosts for The Waiting Room Podcast here on Podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk World. 107.3 mobile app. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over forty years. Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses—it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you: Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one: Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom? technology while saving money. That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Oh, take my word for it. Give them a call 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to give you great service.
1: It was good talking with the chief. Glad to have him in studio. I think there is a lot more to a lot of the stories happening inside that department and in the city here. So we'll get him back. Pretty funny about the sheriff. (laughs) He and Hiller. If you've never seen those two guys together, man, they could take their show on the road. They could absolutely do it. It would have to be for (laughs) for adult audiences only. (laughs) So... We appreciate that. Would love your feedback on our conversation with the chief at podcast225.com. My email address is clay at podcast225.com. Drop me a line. If there's a show you want us to get after that we haven't talked about, you can shoot me an email there. And, of course, on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at clayyoungbr.com. And on Instagram, it's Clay underscore Young BR, And on Facebook, Clay Young. How about that? And you can comment on some of the shows that we have there. But I say it all the time, and I really do mean it. I appreciate the guys who take the time to listen. Often people drop me a note about things we talk about on the show. And I appreciate your feedback. And we really want to do a good job for you. So thank you for being with us. Thanks again to Chief Paul for being our guest on this week's show, episode 180, Man, working our way towards episode 200 in the first part of 2019. Trying to make that one a big one. Yep. And you've been with us all along the way. So thank you. And have a great one. And we'll catch you next time here on The Clay Young Show.
0: Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.